So get set, go, vamos. Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio. Really excited to be joined today by my co-host. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, joined today with my co-hosts. Hi, Karen. Hi, I'm Karen, and I'm with Boston Red Cloaks. And I am Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. Today, we are excited to be joined by Dr. Deshaun Taylor and Julie. Hi, out in Arizona. Hello. Well, hey there. It's not the best circumstances, but we're really, really grateful that you're spending time with us. I want to give you a proper introduction, Dr. Taylor. You are a board-certified OBGYN, clinical professor, women's health and reproductive rights advocate, and the owner of Desert Star Family Planning in Phoenix. It is truly an honor to meet you. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to a really juicy conversation today. (laughs) And Julie, we know you'll be jumping in and that you are with Arizona Handmaids. We'll be excited to get your take on the, uh, what's going on on the ground there. Absolutely. Dr. Taylor, we would love to just start with your work. It's really inspirational to us to know that you've set up a place where people of all genders can come and access healthcare that they need. What's it like in your practice? My practice in Phoenix, Arizona was founded eight years ago. Actually, I celebrated uh, opening the clinic to Arizona eight years ago. Um, In May is when I incorporated the practice. Happy anniversary. Yes, it's been absolutely amazing to see the evolution of the practice providing gynecology, and abortion care, and more recently adding gender affirming care. And so the services are integrated. I don't have a specific day that I just do abortions or just do gynecology care. This is an environment where people are there to have abortions, people are there to have their general gynecology care and they know that abortions are happening. Um, People who are LGBTQIA, have a safe space. Men are welcome. So it's really awesome to be able to provide a safe space for our trans men. And so it's just been an amazing walk to be able to find my voice as an advocate and really start to bring a space to the people of Arizona that's a truly safe space for all people. It feels like a dream come true that one wouldn't have to dream about. This sounds like exactly the kind of healthcare everybody would like to be able to have, a place where you can go and have your needs met by someone who's looking out for your best interests. Are there lots and lots of clinics in Arizona that are just like this? Well, my clinic is the only clinic like this. Um, there are other abortion, independent abortion providers, and there's also Planned Parenthood. And my clinic is pretty much a hybrid between that model um, because unlike some of the other abortion clinics, I have a strong commitment to providing the general preventive health care and I accept insurance, which is a really strong level of commitment to being able to serve people and not be a a cash pay only situation. And adding the gender affirming care has been something that I've heard that other organizations have tried to do, but haven't been able to quite deliver on that in a more consistent uh, basis. And so I've partnered with people in the trans community to help curate a a community 
based service that is informed by and for transgender people as opposed to me as my cisgendered woman self coming in and saying, I know what you need and I'm going to give it to you instead of just li instead of listening <laughs> to what people need. And so it's been really awesome to be able to kind of grow in my understanding of reproductive justice and then be able to then deliver on that in how I care for people. And for, in case people don't understand what reproductive justice is, it is the tenet of bodily autonomy, which generally envelopes the needs and the rights and needs of uh, non-binary folks. Then we have the right to bear children or not. Um, and then we have the right to have families and parent in safe and sustainable communities. And so those are the tenets of reproductive justice. And it's been really awesome now adding the gender affirming care to be operating um, in those areas. Dr. Taylor, how many people work with you? I have about 10 employees. Does that include uh, nurses or other doctors or midwives or? I am the only physician who works regularly in the clinic. I have some doctors who, are, who come in to cover me so that I can have some time off. However, I'm the primary physician. I have two nurses and then I have the rest are medical assistants. And then I have a receptionist um, mm -hmm. front desk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would love to have a like-minded uh, professional join me. It is something that has been elusive because I'm still a bit of a kind of scrappy grassroots organization here. And so whoever joins me, needs to be committed to actually helping me grow the practice as opposed to um, just being an employed person um, because I'm not quite there yet. Feels like it's definitely a labor of love that you're leading in this way of providing care. I'm thinking about medical school, medical school training, traditional medical school training. And I'm wondering, as you speak about gender affirming care in particular, and also the full range of, of reproductive justice like a framework that's wrapped around your practice. I'm wondering if there were specific things in medical school that helped you prepare to unfold in this way, or if more of that is self-directed and also how you help support your staff so that they can grow into this model. Well, the first easy, quick answer is absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely, as it relates to the abortion care, only not very many students have access to adequate knowledge about abortion. Um, maybe they get 30 minutes um, in their entire didactic curriculum if they get that at all. With Catholic-based organizations kind of taking over healthcare, that really, really stymies um, the ability of medical schools to actually provide uh, hands-on training as it relates to abortion care. And it's because of that that I started my nonprofit, Desert Star Institute for Family Planning, where one of the major things that I do is train the next generation of abortion providers so that we can continue to maintain access to abortion care as providers gray, and um, in age out of providing care, we need to have younger providers who are willing to step in and continue to carry the mantle. And so 
And then as it relates to gender affirming care, there have been so many advances in the care of transgender people. And that also has not necessarily made it into um, consistently into a didactic curriculum for, for medical students. And so there is definitely a lot of work that can that still needs to be done in, in both areas. And with the politics of this all, it is just, we get to a place sometimes where even the most well-meaning schools and curriculum committees who want to make sure they student, the students get what, they're, what they need, their hands get tied with politics. And that is going to be something that, that, that will be talked about with um, this horrific law that the governor signed, because it does impact our medical school's ability to make sure that their, uh, their students and trainees are adequately educated about these things. So speaking of education, you said that there's not enough education about abortion. So what happens if, if an abortion is needed, not on a spur of the moment because the mother had some kind of accident or something happened and there's the need of an abortion? What happens at that moment? How do the doctors decide or provide or how, how would that work? Well, honestly, what's been happening is that abortion care has been, began to concentrate in a smaller number of uh, organizations and people. And it also is regional. So you have people who may have more access, say, in California, and then you come right next door to Arizona and people have less access. Um, I am from California. And when I was in California, I was one of 600 abortion providers. And now I'm in Arizona, I'm one of less than 20. <laughs> and so that what happens is when, when people don't learn about how to provide abortion care, how to counsel for abortion, then they just don't do it even in a situation where they don't have restrictions that impede on their ability to provide, like for example, a state of California, um, they, if they don't know what to do, then patients just don't have access to that. And then they have to be referred to places where the care is accessible. I will say that the average OBGYN would be able to do a first trimester abortion, even if they weren't specifically trained on abortion just for the technique of the care can be learned in managing miscarriages. Um, however, as people get into more advanced pregnancy where they're wanting to have an abortion, that's when a, a more uh, technical experience is required. And that's where access really starts to dwindle significantly. And so there is this perception in the public that they can just go to their OBGYN and get an abortion. And then they find out that that's not the case. Um, and then they kind of start on this journey to try to figure out where to go. I will also say that in states that are hostile to abortion, all pregnant people are at risk because even people who are having miscarriages you have a situation where you have some providers who are like, I don't even want to deal with this at all. 
So I see in my practice, I am taking care of more miscarriage uh, patients because their OBGYNs are, are not comfortable um, with that care as well. Um, it, it's just a really difficult environment for all pregnant people to be in when you're really early in pregnancy and it's, it's really unclear, is this um, a threatened early intrauterine pregnancy that eventually would develop into something that now you're ideologically opposed to doing anything about, right? Or is this person really experiencing a miscarriage and you know, I can use my skills and knowledge to help this person. And so people get into this in, in the middle of that and people's ideology just says, you know what, I'm just not going to touch it. And so you have more um, abortion providers handling a more larger volume of miscarriage patients as well. And it's unfortunate. Dr. Taylor, when Mark Kelly was elected to the Senate in Arizona, many of us gave a little gasp of hope that perhaps Arizona would be open to more progressive ideas, which would include abortion access opportunities and healthcare for trans people and all the rest of gynecological care. Is Arizona, politics is one thing, but is Arizona truly hostile or is this a small group of people who are trying to make life difficult for women and, and anybody who can get pregnant? Overwhelming majority of Arizonans um, believe that that people should have the autonomy to make their own healthcare decisions. Somehow though, that's not translating in the voting booth to electing our local officials who would govern and you know, create laws that would you know, further protect and provide for, uh, for Arizonans. That was a very significant disconnect that we saw this um, last election, it was in contrast to the gains that we made in 2018. We were all like super excited about this election. We just knew that, you know, we were going to continue that progress. And yes, we did at the top of the ticket. But in the more in all the local races, we were just shocked and appalled at um, what happened we actually lost some seats in some areas. Um, we missed an opportunity to have Julie Gunningle uh, represent us <laughs> as district attorney. Um, and so it, that, that was very disappointing um, because it is our legislators who create this hostile environment. And yes, there are just only a few in terms of percentage of Arizonans who share that ideology, but somehow they are able to get votes of reasonable people to continue to further this agenda of theirs. That said, we would love to continue this conversation because there's more to unpack here. And we're wondering if maybe you would both be willing to join us for a part two. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Great. Okay. So we're going to return and carry on this conversation. And for our listeners, stay, stay on the edge of your seat and hang in there. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com and have a great day.